This is 20 Questions on Design Lake City. I'm Aaron, and today we have Mark Hoffling on the show. How are you doing, Mark? Good. Good, Aaron. How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, it's nice to catch up with you on a Saturday morning as a, as a change-up. We usually do these like Tuesday night or something. So, you know, kind of fresh Saturday morning. Let's, let's talk about design. Well, we're all so busy these days, you know, it's hard to schedule. Exactly. Busy, <laughs> busy holding, holding down our basements. Yes, exactly. So quick intro, Mark is a production designer for film and television. His resume is very impressive. And I wonder, well, there's probably a way to like link you to Mark's work. So you can see like all of the amazing film and television work he's done in addition to um, civilian work, we like to call it interior design, fabrication, all of those kind of things. So um, we'll tease out a lot of that stuff through 20 questions. So yeah, let's just get into it. Yeah. Okay, so first set of questions are just some warm-up questions. Um, so question number one, what gets you up in the morning? Uh, what gets me up in the morning is probably <clears throat> a combination of um, fear of not getting the project done and naivete that everything's going to be fine. Nice. <laughs> Do you have a favorite snack? I, uh, yeah, it's cheese because I'm super basic that way. Uh, any any special cheese? Are you are you like a cheddar guy? Or are you like a brie like kind of fancy? I like cheese? I like cheddar. I love baby bells. That seems to be something that they always have in offices on uh, on movie productions. So oh right, they're close to my heart. They're probably clogging my heart, but I love them anyway. Like classic catering fair, right? One of yep, those huge exactly the craft service area. Yeah, awesome. Um, okay, so if not a designer, what would you be? If I had the discipline to do it, probably a writer. But I don't know if I have the discipline to do that. Uh, right. It's a little more. It's a little more straightforward than my design process, which is a little more kind of circular. So, but mm. I'll, I'll I'll tell myself writer. It'll make me feel good about it. There's been this conversation about like, can design be done in in a vacuum, in a basement, isolationist? You know, like over the past six months, a lot of us have been like just working alone at home. And I think my assessment is like, no, I don't think design is a very good profession to be done, you know, in, in the basement. And so that, it makes me think like being a writer, like you have to be comfortable with just being completely like isolationist. Is, does that, does that work into like a bit of your like apprehension for like actually being able to be a writer? Uh, maybe so, because, you know, for me, um, just the, the sort of design world I come from, it's so, it's so super collaborative and I know most design is on some level, but in, in film and television designing, you know, it's a, it serves so many different uh, constituencies mm. that uh, the collaboration is part of what I really love about it. So just right. a, a solitary life certainly as a designer is kind of unimaginable and exactly, you know, a, a writer's life looks kind of romantic until you actually sit down and try to do a bunch of writing, which I have done. Mm. And, uh, Pretty soon, the voices in my head drive me a little crazy. So maybe that's just a, a fantasy. I'd probably be a grocery right. store clerk, which is fine too. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I've thought about that. I, I'll, I'd be okay <clears throat> with like slicing meat sometimes. When when the pressure at work gets heavy, I'm like, I'll be okay with just being in the deli. Yeah, that'd be a great job. It's a it is yeah. a great job. Right, right. And somebody's got to do it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what is something that everyone should do or try at least once in their life? Um, I don't know if any police are listening, but I would probably say a psychedelic drug. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to doing that sometime in my life. 
Right. Yeah, I yeah. know. It's I, I feel like in my there was there was a past life where that was a thing, but yeah. I've I've been solidly like living in my body for many years without having done any psychedelics and maybe it's time again. I don't know. Ah, you got kids, you know. It's like uh once they're asleep, you can do whatever you want, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do the origin question, origin story. Um, so it's kind of always in the same space. Question number five, it's about like how you, how, how you got your start in design. What was some, some of your early training and um, motivation for starting a career in, in design? Weirdly, it started super, super young for me. And I, um, I used to kind of be inspired by something I saw on TV or in a movie. And I would kind of, in my mind, decorate my room to kind of reflect that in, in a very humble kid way. Uh, huh. I saw, I saw some surgery on television once. So I built this whole dummy and cut up. My mom had this bag of colored kitchen sponges and I, I cut them all up and made them look like the organs and I would pretend surgery. And then I had this That's whole awesome. Lord of the Rings phase. And, what a mess. <clears throat> oh, it was a total mess. And, and then, um, we were at, my dad took me to see star Wars on opening day, the, the original, uh, a new hope. And, uh, I was sitting on, uh, in the theater on third South, uh, uh, third south and state and saw the millennial the millennium falcon fly across the screen and it just blew my brain apart like nobody had ever mm. seen a movie like that it was seven or i think it was seven years old and my dad leaned over and said you know there's people who make all that stuff and it was like just like that <clears throat> i instantly knew that's what i had to do was kind of get on the other side of the looking glass mm. and uh so that's kind of where the idea started and then I didn't, you know, I lived in Salt Lake, which was even more of an island in the middle of nowhere than it is now, <clears throat> and and didn't really have a lot of opportunities. So I was right. kind of farting my way through art school at the university when randomly a job possibility came up to work on a movie, and I just ran at it and uh, kind of never looked back. Cool. If you had to pick one project that you should be known for, can you call out a singular project that would be your signature project? Well, probably what I'm, whether I like it or not, what I'll be most known for in my entire career, unless something really huge happens, is the high school musical mm. movies. Uh, you know, those they're 12 years-ish old right. now. That really became hugely important landmark movies for, for Disney and the Disney Channel and kind of put them on the map. Mm -hmm. um, they also completely changed my career tra trajectory from doing kind of very low to no budget stuff to um, now becoming kind of a fixture in the musical film universe, which was as big a surprise to me as uh, anyone else. So that's, I've probably done 14 or 15 musical films by right. now. So I'm kind of a specialist at that, which is odd because it's never, it was never really part of my background, but, um, and I really started in horror. So I kind of have this bifurcated career where if you, you're not interested or you don't know the high school musical movies well maybe you know about army of darkness oh right and uh <clears throat> that you know so I, I i didn't design that i was i built puppets and and puppet props and operated puppets and stuff on that so but it was still part of my early design work right so it's an, uh, those are probably two of two of the landmarks but i'm waiting for the next one to come yeah <laughs> i know i say that too like i do i i hope that like the thing i'm known for hasn't been done yet yeah, that's a good way of saying it. And I, I'm not ashamed of either of those things. They're both, you know, a lot of fun and, you know, definitely had influence on people all over the world. So 
but you know, as a, as a designer, you kind of want the next, you, you got a taste for the next. Yeah, thing, you right? always do. And I think that's a cool thing um, about like the profession is like the, the, the potential for peaking is, is there like if you or for, or for peaking late, right? Like how many, how many architects yeah. and famous designers did like their best work at, you know, 70 or 80. Yeah. Especially like American architects kind of don't even get noticed until they're 75 right, years right. old. Like right? they're not even allowed to build anything until they're like 40. Yeah. What are you working on or what are you working towards kind of like outside of the design profession right now? Do you have like something that you're, you're kind of building up? You know, my whole life, and <clears throat> I won't name names, but my whole life, because I came out of a certain orthodoxy and, uh, uh, survived it just barely. Um, I've always been fascinated in what kind of makes people believe in irrational and, um, bizarre ideas. <laughs> So right now I'm in the middle of reading a book that's called Black Sun, and it's uh, it's about it's something I didn't know existed until I started reading this book, which is uh, esoteric fascism mm. and religious Hitlerism in the post-war world, which is a thing like actually kind of positioning Hitler as a Hindu god. It's very wow. bizarre, but fascinating stuff. So <clears throat> yeah, I just kind of endlessly find myself trying to understand that part of the the human brain. So is that, that sounds pretty intriguing. Is it, is it like a fiction? So Black Sun back on the book? No, no, it's re, it's a real book about these movements that uh, popped up during and after uh, Hitler's lifetime and are still uh, unfortunately haunting us to this day. <laughs> well, I hope that makes you sleep well at night. It sounds pretty not comforting. Really. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, not really. You know, I guess, yeah, during, like during a fucked up year, it might as well double down on yeah. <laughs> Question eight. What is a dream project you'd like to work on? So, you know, I, I've recently been doing these more and more um, conceptual kind of fan, uh, fantasy based projects, which are really, really, really exciting as a designer. Most, <clears throat> pardon me, most of what uh, film designers do is more a reflection of the real world. Um, but I've been able to kind of do world building and create spaces that are unreal. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I just, for instance, take a look at the, the new Dune trailer, which just looks like yum, 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 yum. Right. Like the idea of creating a fully realized universe, um, with, you know, nothing, as we say, off the mm -hmm. rack would just be delicious, would be an absolute joy, you know, like a big meaty two year, two and a half year project like that would be fantastic. And do you like in, in a situation like that as a production designer, do you have a preference how much of that is like modeled and physical versus CGI? Like, is it, is it more just about the vision? Uh, it's a lot about the vision, but you know, what's really interesting, Aaron, is that we, there was a lurch early on when CGI kind of was the, you know, the new kid on the block, there was a real lurch in that direction. And, you know, we like think of the star Wars prequels where it was, 85 or 80% green screen stage. And it looks like it, it just kind of, you know, they spend a trillion dollars, but it just looks like yeah. shite. Right. Um, and so it's, the industry's kind of sprung back in the other hmm. direction and there's, um, there's more of a, uh, an emphasis on what we call hard set building, which is what yeah. I do, you know, the real actual scenically finished spaces. Um, and we've kind of, it's kind of balanced out to, okay, well, up to say 30 feet, we'll build. Yeah. And then beyond that, CGI will finish and that sort of that's thing. Cool. So, 
Um, my preference is, is definitely as much hard set as possible, yeah. but I do now that, now that CGI is a real tool rather than the actual, uh, the entire technique, it, it allows me as a designer to do so much mm. more, right? Cause I've, I, I design all that as well. Yeah. All the set extension and everything. That's so, cool. so I think you have them. So yeah, I, pro- uh, I was going to say like in, there's in, a good balance in concert. Yeah. Like as a, as a combination that. It seems like yep. the ultimate, and it's better for the actors. It's it's better for the cast and the actors, and and you can light it properly, unlike a green screen set where you kind of you just have to blast the actors with light. You know what I mean? It just it it just puts them into the narrative rather than they're standing on yeah. a green block, which is supposed to be like a castle <laughs> wall, right? Yeah, that's such a good point. Like it seems when you see those be- behind the scenes where there's like nothing besides the actors in their costumes in front of a green sc- green screen, it seems so like awkward for them, you know, and like. Yeah, they're, you, they get good yeah. at it, but it's not the same yeah. thing, you know. Do you have aspirations to do, like, um, more crazy, like, on-location stuff like Game of Thrones, where they're, like, flying to Iceland to do the work? Like, is that is that something that interests you, or are you more, like... Totally, okay. <laughs> totally. That's I love that stuff. That, that's what's really... That's another thing that's really exciting for me is, you know, part of this job is a lot of travel, <clears throat> and so... I kind of get parachuted into these cities and I've just kind of got to build my infrastructure and my crew and, and, uh, and, you know, how we're going to approach this project, find locations, you know, um, that's all pretty exciting. It's a pretty, it's a, if you're, it's a real Renaissance man sort of job. Um, and yeah, a a big multi destination design project like that would be a dreamy. Does film equipment like, like, kind of advances in like um film equipment technology and whatnot like digital and all that does that like um make that easier to like travel uh and do on site it does it's because everything's gotten a bit smaller i mean we're still a very stuff intensive you know industry we need a lot of gear but it's all gotten smaller it's gotten lighter um led uh advances in led technology have changed like it's crazy what it used to take with, uh, as far as electricity to light a set and the amount of heat that generated and the weight of the lights. Um, it's that has all just come way, 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 mm. way down. So the, our footprint while still sizable has gotten yep. smaller and easier to move. So, so as sure. a team, maybe it's easier to like, like advocate like traveling. Yeah. And for instance, one thing would be the drones are so good now that, you don't need as you don't need the, the the footprint of cranes that we used to have to. We still use cranes a lot, camera cranes, but the drone can do so much more than than they used to. And you don't need you know helicopter shots are kind of becoming a little bit of a thing of the past because of the drone technology. So that's just one area where every, you know technology has made our world more compact and more usable. That's cool. I mean, that's exciting just to think that like that. It, it, it's it's in your future more, more travels in your future you know enabled through like technology advances that's cool yeah totally okay next question uh, this is a question a good question for you mark do you have a favorite designer i do actually i have a designer that i <clears throat> i uh, think is probably in my opinion in in the film world was probably the greatest mm. designer so far of all time and his name is ken adam um, so Ken was around for a long time. He, he designed Dr. Strangelove. He became kind of every, every classic bond villains layer that you can think of is Ken Adam. 
So he did Goldfinger, he did Thunderball, he did You Only Live Twice. He also did Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. He did Diamonds Are Forever, um, The Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker, like really, really a visionary designer, even though he was kind of working in kind of the worst era of the Bond <laughs> movies, like this, the 70s and 80s, the, the Roger Moore Bonds, which I just I, right. I think are kind of uniquely terrible. But he was doing he was doing really, really huge, like the, you know, the inside of the volcano, like that was a, that was a real set. So he's, he's an amazing designer, very versatile. I want to say you've showed me his drawings before too. Like these like amazing, like freeform, Mm -hmm. like thick marker drawings. Is that, is that the same? That's Ken Adam, like incredible, incredible gesture, gestural drawings. And the whole spirit of the set is there, right? He was a real visionary. That's why I like this podcast, you know, just sharing, sharing our inspirations. And, um, it's, it's fun to think of like other people, like being able to follow through and or follow up and see, you know, what Ken Adams has done. Oh yeah. You should totally Google him because I went to, um, there was a, a Stanley Kubrick exhibit that toured the country mm-hmm. and I went to it in, in Los Angeles and I was standing there in front of Ken Adams, original drawings for the war room in Dr. Strangelove. And I started involuntarily, I started welling up. I was just so moved by how beautiful it was. So do check them out. They're beautiful. That's a good segue to the inspiration question. I think it's probably the most important question. It's kind of like trying to understand where where designers find their inspiration. Where and how do you kind of look for design inspiration? Well, it's a great question. I think for for um, for working in film and television, the vast bulk of what a designer is doing is is supporting the narrative by creating backstory. So you you can in the first frame of film, you can tell more about a character and their situation when you look at their you know the house I've created for them or the office I've created for them, than than pages of dialogue can tell you right. So this person's a hoarder. This person's a serial killer. This person's a rich you know investment banker. So what that means is the bulk of like a lot of my inspiration just comes from the real world and how people, yeah. you know, the residue people, the residue of a life people create in their space and with their objects and how, how that is all kind of collaged together, either right. intentionally or otherwise. And a lot, a lot of people kind of live unintentionally, meaning they're, they don't put a lot of thought into what their space yep. is. It just is it's utilitarian or they have other priorities. So you really have to, you really have to look at how people use space and use the world to get your inspiration. So it could be anything from like a cool, you know, some really unusual thing in a trailer park to, um, you know, mm-hmm. a high end, you know, some kind of high end minimalist house. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of, you always kind of have to have one eye just yeah. with a semi focus on the world as you pass through it, because you're going to, you're going to be in a meeting sometime right. and somebody's going to say, Oh, what should this person be like? And this is going to pop into your head. Some random thing you saw, you know, when you were driving through central Utah, you know what I mean? So inspiration is kind of everywhere. Is there somewhere in your brain, like, is there like a switch you can turn on to be like, okay, yeah, mental notes, like, let's keep these, you know, noted. Or how do you, how do you get like systematic about like remembering what you're seeing and, and having it be able to kind of come back to you? I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I, I have walked by something or driven by something and Maybe there's maybe there's some kind of semi-conscious recording yep. mechanism where I kind of think, oh, I should remember that. 
oh, that's cool. Oh, that's good. Or, you know, if I have time, maybe I'll take a picture of it. But, um, yeah, I don't know because things, things will pop right. into my head when I need them that I haven't thought about in years. So <laughs> I know, right. The human brain is just a giant junk shop. It's just, <laughs> you don't know what's in there. And that's why it's like so hard to sift through this stuff. But I, I feel like for me, like, uh, because I, I, I want to do the same, like I'm, I'm interested in design of, at all scales. Right. And so I want to be able to just go out in the world and like, take it all in. But I feel like I have to almost like flip a switch, like the observation switch or something, you know, to, to be able to do that. Um, and it's probably just, training. you know, what's funny about the, the way that in my business, the, my memory has to work too, is like, okay, I have all that weird deep storage of just bizarre visual twack, but you, but because the, the workload is so intense, you know, when we're in production and actually shooting, like nothing is more important than what's coming up tomorrow. And then nothing is less important than what happened yesterday. So it's like my hard drive gets erased. <laughs> and I, if you ask me what I did yesterday, I can't even remember sometimes. Isn't that strange? Yeah. Because I, I don't have room. I need to think about tomorrow. So Wow. Bizarre. Okay. So it, it sounds like you have like a, a good system for like using your subconscious. Like it just, it just uh, almost by necessity just like come, you know, works out for you. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Okay. Um, this is a good, another good question in the same vein. Do you have a secret weapon? Uh, <laughs> I think my secret weapon, and it probably hasn't come across much in this discussion, but, um, and I say this with all humility, but I honestly think my secret uh, weapon is that I'm funny, that I have a sense mm. of humor. And right. um, I, it's crazy how valuable I have found that into kind of greasing the skids of yeah. diff difficult conversations and uh, intense meeting situations, kind of moments like that. It actually, it's really useful in dispelling kind of bad juju mm. and and moving, maybe it's just very manipulative, but hey, you, you you work with the tools you have. So I can kind of guide conversations in certain ways towards an outcome that uh, a positive outcome because yeah. of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can you can lighten the mood. I'm surprised, like how often, like creative conversations and and uh, conversations around design get so serious and bogged down. It's like, hey guys, this you know, we're not doing surgery here. We're just, you know, creating entertainment or creating products. It's just, this should be yeah. fun, right? And it should be fun. And we have like, I would, if I didn't have this job, I would kill me in my sleep to get it, you know, because yes, exactly. I love what I do. It's super, right. fun. it's, it's a lot of work, but it's yeah. super fun. I get to spend incredible amounts of other people's money making right. really cool stuff. And, uh, you know, why are we, why are we screaming at each other? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like we have to remind not only ourselves but like those around us too. Right? Like, come on, this should this should be amazing. We're so yeah. lucky to do this. Yeah, we guys, we're talking about a dragon fighting an octopus right now. Seriously, are we? Are we, <laughs> yeah. are we angry about this? Yeah, that's so yeah. good. Okay, let's. There's like a second set of questions that that are like the practice related questions that we'll get into now. Okay. What advice would you give your younger designer self? Um, uh, I would say. Stop being so defensive, understand how collaborative this is, mm. and, and honestly, use your sense of humor more than your sense of outrage. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah, to be, to be um, defensive is an interesting thing for like a, a younger designer. Yeah, it's, e it's, it's easy to want to like 
um, just be married to your creations and def- defend them at all costs. And I think like you get, you get older and you're like, okay, there'll, there'll be more battles, you know, tomorrow and the yeah. next day, the next day. So like, just <laughs> relax. But it, it breaks your heart though. You know, you think you've got this idea and, but it, you know, it, a, there's a lot of just subjectivity to design and B, it may not practically work for a reason somebody else is going to tell you. So, you know, once you learn to be less defensive and more flexible, you just sleep a lot better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, you know, especially in design, like there's no, there's no like right answer usually. So why, why like dig in so hard, you know? Yeah, totally. Okay. Next question. What's your definition of success as a designer? I would say to, to see, uh, you know, to see the work, to, to see the ideas realized um, in a concrete way, and then to have them be seen in, for my, you know, in my end of the world by an audience, and then to, to see them have some effect. And mm. uh, it's been amazing, you know, some of the movies I've done, I've done 24-ish movies for Dis- the Disney, uh, Disney and the Disney Channel. Right. And it's amazing. I get random emails from kids all over the world, not all the time, but occasionally just saying how much they love this, how much this inspired them, how much, you know, I had this girl come up to me after I did a presentation at a school and just randomly give me a hug and said, thank you for making my childhood magical. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who gets to hear that? In their lives? That's amazing. So then I went and sat in my car and cried for half an hour. So, um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that's, to me, that's success as a designer. It had, it added a very positive effect on someone. Mm. Uh, just a side note, my kids have been loving descendants. Oh um, yeah. They're so much fun. And, yeah. And so, uh, you know, for, for everybody listening, Mark was a production designer on those, um, all three descendants movies for the, for the Disney channel. And yeah. they are amazing. And, and if you pay attention to the sets, this, the sets are particularly amazing. Um, oh, thanks. And, and you know everything else it's just they're just fun the music's good um but yeah so my my daughter is seven now and so she gets control of the remote and so that's how we know she's into it because she she'll choose herself you know she'll direct or she'll guide herself to like those movies often yeah and the the songs get stuck in her head and everything oh that's um, I, I i apologize to you but i'm glad she's having a good time with it it's, another yeah. moment of knowing you've had some success as a film designer is when you see Kid, you know, when, when a kid comes to your door on Halloween wearing the costume of a character you helped create. So that's, uh, Oh, that's a good one. That's, that's what cool. kind of the first time that kind of blew my mind. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, that, that's a good point. So it's, we're, we're coming into Halloween and Maya's already decided she's going to be a cat, but I wish I would have forced her to be one of those descendants characters. <laughs> a cat, a cat's a respectable, respectable yeah, costume. That's a good fallback. There's always next year. Okay. I think this is a good question for you about nerves. Because Mark, Mark and I worked together for the better part of a year, and I was always really impressed uh, with Mark's confidence. And I and I think we talked about how you know you you almost have to convince yourself of your con- confidence going into meetings and whatnot when you when you're doing a big presentation and stuff like that. So anyway, yeah, it's a, it's about nerves. I think I think that's like just part of our our work is um, maybe getting nervous. So I mean, the question is, do you get nervous, and how do you deal with it? Oh, for sure. I you know it's it's. Confidence is a muscle you can exercise and, you know, it's kind of a complicated thing, but I think for me, having spent more than 20 years in the closet as a queer person gave me the ability to front pretty well. (laughs) I can, I can pretend I'm one thing when I may not be. 
Mm. Um, and so, especially in a, in a, you know, kind of stuck behind enemy lines in a very, uh, a hyper conservative family with a hyper conservative religious worldview. Um, <clears throat> so I, I had speaking of the descendants, Aaron, when I, we did the first descendants movie, we did this big concept art period. You've seen one of those go down yep. on one of my shows. We did this big concept art period and, uh, they said, okay, great. Disney called and said, great. Can you come to LA and do, I'd, I'd already presented it to like, you know, the director and to the executives at the Disney channel. So rooms full of like 12, 14 people, which can be nerve wracking enough. And they said, Oh, we want to present it to kind of, you know, the larger Disney, um, corporate family. And I was like, Oh, sure. And I'm, I'm on this conference call and I hear them saying, okay, great. It'll be November 12th or whatever. And, uh, so far the RSVPs are, uh, 285. And I was like, I'm sorry, did you guys say 285 people? Oh, shit. And they said, yeah, but we're expecting 350. So <laughs> I had to go to LA, fly to LA and present the art of the descendants, you know, the concept of the descendants in right. the, the snow white theater, which Walt Disney built on the Disney lot for the premiere of snow white in the 1930s. Wow in front of all of the heads of all the different departments of the, of the entire magic kingdom, including the Bob Iger, the president of the company. So I was like, whew, okay, I'm going to fake this one. And you know, uh-huh. you just kind <clears> of, <throat> you get through it. The music starts and the lights go down and you just kind of get through it. And then, uh, slept well the night after I'll tell you that. Yeah. What a relief after you get through something like that. Yeah, for sure. For me, it's always like the first few seconds or even like getting through the first 30 seconds and then and then you're flowing especially if it's like something you're familiar with or you're passionate about right yeah and then the first and the first kind of reaction you get from the room like the first little kind of chuckle or whatever yeah with a a then you really you ease into it really quickly i think that's a good call to like yeah work in some some comedy (laughs) you know especially in the beginning for sure okay Next question, 15. What is your least favorite part of the design process? Uh, easy one, budgeting. I hate it. I hate uh, it. I hate it. It's, it's not, uh-huh. you know, I'm very much on the creative side of the ledger. And so yep. that's always been a real struggle. But you still have to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, something like that where, where it, affects, it affects your work, right? Because you, you put out, you know, what you think is a final product, a final design, and then budgeting happens and you've got to rework everything. And it's like, yep. you've got to rework it immediately. Right. Yep. Sometimes overnight, like, yeah. Oh my God, we got to yeah. start building tomorrow. You've got yeah. to find $75,000 to cut out of this. Right. Yeah. So it's just, uh, so it's like, it should be on the fly. It's like being kicked while you're down. Right. Like the heartbreak of like the design being diminished, but also having to re yeah. Like the stress of having to rework it quickly. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like, like a lot of what we do, Aaron, it's commercial art. So, you know, yep. you're, you're going to have to, you're going to have to make the, the commerce is going to have its voice heard at some point. Right. Okay. So is there something you've learned the hard way, uh, that you'd like to help listeners avoid? So that, is, that kind of goes probably back to the, the budgeting thing. And also, uh, what I would tell my younger self is I didn't realize when I kind of started out in this job that at least 50% of what it is, is a sales job. Like I just thought, here's my idea. Somebody pay for it. Don't give me any shit. And that's completely the wrong, wrong attitude to have. So 
at some point I realized, no, 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 you've got to convince these people who, and the people you're convincing usually in the design world are not creative people. They just write checks, right? They're just, Mm. they just run the numbers. So you've got to kind of bring them into the vision and Mm. convince them this is the right thing to do. And that goes back to kind of having a sense of humor. It goes back to kind of being a storyteller. You've, you've really got to, you know, because we're talking about substantial sums of money, you know, uh, some of my construction budgets just on the construction site alone have been like $8 million. And so, you know, that we're going to spend in six months. So you've got to really convince people that you know what you're doing, you know what you're talking about, and that this idea is the right idea. So if I'd known that 15 years ago, I think I would have been a much happier person. Now that I know that, I'm far happier as a designer. Just, okay, Mm. I got it. I can do this. Just accepting that you have to kind of be part of the sales sales pitch. Yeah, you're convincing people. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we work at the dream factory, so convince them that this is the dream. I like that. And just like kind of like, um, yeah, dig, dig, digging into it, doubling down on, on, on that fact. The, uh, the last interview I did was with uh, um, Nicole Ziegler, and she's an interior designer. She, she mentioned the same thing. You know, it was like through, through years of practice, it's like just accepting that you're a salesperson, basically. Yeah. And, then you ease in, and then you ease into it. And then it, it's, it, you can actually enjoy that part of it. Yeah. I like it and, and, and work on it. Right. And like, we're totally. getting better and be good at it. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about your drawing. Yeah. We've actually mentioned, we've talked about your drawing before I had Brandon on. So we all, you know, Brandon and Mark and I will all work together for the better part of a year, a company Mark created CSB. We had so much fun. You're, you're okay. I'll just come out and say it like your drawing is incredible. And, <laughs> you know, being able to work and w- watch your handiwork over the course of working with you was really inspiring. And uh, yeah, I'd like to hear you talk about, you know, your drawing, your drawing techniques and your approaching your approach uh, to drawing in general. Well, that's crazy flattering. Thank you. Um, it's something I oddly have just kind of always been, been good at and always done. So I have uh, luckily had some innate talent in that way, but definitely have worked to kind of make, um, to make it a, a quick way to communicate a lot of information. So it's not really drafting. It's kind of a, I call it kind of draw drafting or just a, you know, a quick isometric sketch. Um, so, uh, I can usually, communicate more i can usually communicate enough information in a drawing that takes me maybe 40 minutes to an hour that builders can just work directly from that for some things not for like a complex thing like a for building a whole family house or something like that but right but for some of the objects we have to build i can bang that out pretty quickly um and so i can see it i can see the image in my head but it's uh it's almost like it's a little foggy and then as soon as I kind of the pencil hits the paper, it starts to sharpen up. The, the physical exercise of doing the drawing mm. is where all the kind of mental energy comes together. And the, the, I start to see it more clearly as I draw. So right. I just start with, uh, you know, an 11 by 17 pad and a 2H pencil and then kind of do an underdrawing and then go over, you know, emphasize that with a 3B pencil um, yeah. you know, put a bunch of call outs on it and then hopefully that's, that's, uh, good to go. That's awesome. So, so you won't even, um, necessarily like rough out and, and trace over the top. You'll just try to, um, get it, get it in one go. 
with a couple. No, of I'll pencils. do. I'll do with the two H. I'll do like an underdrawing, like a like a. Oh, gotcha. Eight yeah. underdrawing, and then, and then I just I don't even really erase much of that. I just go over or add to it with the three B. So they're both kind of visible, um, <clears throat> but I think in a weird way, it just drafting. You know, I have people in my department that do the drafting. The yeah. drafting doesn't capture any spirit, kind of like those Ken Adam illustrations we were talking about earlier. Yeah, there's both form and energy in yeah. those drawings, and that's kind of you know I would never dare compare myself to Ken Adam as an illustrator, but right. there is an energy in a hand drawn thing that is harder to capture in a you know via computer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, like the character and the personality, and yeah, the energy, like the in a way, like the good juju you kind of put into it as you're drawing, being being excited about it. I think comes through in the drawing. Yeah, you can see like the 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 world is an imperfect place, especially when you're creating, you know, a, a worn out or or conceptual world. It's imperfect. That it's not necessarily square. Not everything's yep. really plumb, and you can kind of capture that easily in a, in a hand drawing, and it's tattered and dog eared and stuff like that. Are there other techniques that you would like want to approve at this point with your hand drawing or other things oh, that you're working on? Or? For sure. Like I, I need, I need to be far better at peopling my spaces <laughs> for some reason, just all, in, <laughs> all my drawing. It's, 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 it tends to be, um, geometric things, space, rooms, buildings, you know, boxy objects. And so I just never really spent much time drawing people. So gotcha. I have, you know, I have like an architect squiggle for a person, um, yep. but that doesn't always help with the sales job. They're like, oh, we'd love to see the characters in that space. And it's like, oh my God, mm. I've got to draw the pirates now. So oh my God. yeah, I could use a little piece. figure drawing refreshment. Yeah. Yeah. That this game, we talk about drawing in the, in, in these interviews a lot and like, yeah, it's come up before, like how anatomy has got to be the hardest thing. Hands, feet, figures, yeah. you know, heads, faces. Them, yeah. All of that. It's, it's, it's worth, it's worth, uh, working on. Just so other designers uh, can look at that and be, and see the little architect squiggle of a person and just yeah. totally understand they're just there for scale and, you know, to help make sense of the space. But then you show it to the people who aren't creative and they're like, Oh, I don't get the squiggle. And you're like, Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Swine. Producer, you're swine. Like, I, I like it, but how big is it? Is it two inches or two feet? You're like, I well, know. Come on. Just squiggle. Bananas. All right, let's go to the next question. I like this question. I think it's like really pertinent for designers. Um, it's about how much of your work sees the light of day, just because I think you know we we do so much concepting and and drawing and creating, and then what what actually gets built or what actually gets you know shipped or published. Um, right. So yeah. So at your point at, at at this point in your career, how much of your design is um, seeing the light of day? So, you know, when, when you and, and Brandon and, and I worked together, we did a bunch of stuff that probably never got realized, right? We, de- mm-hmm. we did quite a bit that got realized, but then we, you know, we made some public art pitches and stuff like that that never, never ended up happening. But as a yeah. film designer at this point, um, other designers may hate me <laughs> because of this, but I would say probably north of 80%, probably 85%. Wow. Yeah, because there's you it, the time the timelines. Once you get hired to be the designer on a show, the timelines are super tight. So you got to throw your your best pitch first for an idea, mm. and and then that some version of that is usually what ends up. You know, that first idea is usually what ends up on camera. That's pretty cool. I, there's something like exhilarating about that. Just knowing you've got it, you've got to hit it, hit it out of the park the first go. 
And, yeah, and I've, uh, and I've gotten really, on. I've gotten really good with a, and and maybe we'll talk about him with my my friend Kenny Ortega, the, the director. I've done a ton of projects with. He's really demanding, but he's really exercised me to this point where once I've done a, a, an initial sketches and then I've handed it off to a couple of very talented illustrators I work with, and we get a full color piece of concept art. I can walk onto the finished set with that with the director on the first day and show him the piece of con- concept art, and what is in the concept art is exactly what's on set. It's like mm. exactly as we as we imagined it. So that's cool, man. I mean, so a batting average of what point eight five? I don't, I forget exactly how they, but eighty five percent, right? That's yeah, 80, 85 percent for sure. Yeah, yeah, and and like aspirational, you know. I think I think for me that's you know to 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 raise to raise that like number of uh, or that percentage of what sees the light of day like um, is definitely a goal for me. Um, yeah, I and think, it's just I think it's the nature of my of of the the job itself too. It's not really necessarily a reflection of me as a designer. It's kind of yeah. more of a reflection of how the how the deadlines and the 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 creative process of the film industry works, right? Right, right. Yeah, so yeah. that specific d- discipline kind of aids. Right, so don't people shouldn't feel bad if, you know, yeah. <laughs> a designer in another field, if they get 50% up, they're a huge success. Right, right. yeah. Still in positive territory. Yeah. Do you have tricks for getting out of a rut, out of a creative rut? Yeah, I, yeah. so, I, you know, if, you, if you've <clears throat> you banged your head against the brick wall of, of a problem for a while and you realize it's not going anywhere. I either just get up and walk away, go on to something else entirely, um, which is easy for me. Cause I can just, oh, okay, I'll drive to the next location or I'll go back to set or, yep. um, or I'll just start Googling something else. And then the other thing that's really, uh, useful for me. And I, I know a lot of people say this is just to sleep on it, just to hmm. not think about it. Um, it kind of pisses me off that I only get paid for, you know, 12 hours of my day and not 24. So right. I'm, st- <laughs> I'm still working on the problem in my sleep, but totally. it's crazy how often the, the Eureka moment happens in the shower for me in the morning, mm. you know, just like get up, kind of get moving before I'm fully awake. I'm standing in the shower and I'm suddenly like, Oh, I got it. So <laughs> yeah. It, it and that kind of that works for me, especially because there's so many creative problems to be tackling on any project that yeah. I'm, my my thinking isn't super linear. So that mm. it, it's useful that I can just kind of walk away and come back to it or circle it or that's cool. Or well, literally you, work it out in my sleep. Something nice about being on comp- complex projects is yeah, you can kind of just like move on or, or hit it, hit something else, right? Or yeah, move move to a different area and then yeah, yeah take and just get your mind off the first problem. Exactly. Um, okay, we're at question twenty, and I just want to ask you like a Salt Lake related question. Okay, since we're so, since we're so uh, Salt Lake City focused here, um, yeah, simple question: Do you have a happy place in Salt Lake, like outside of outside of your home? I, I absolutely do have two places that I find myself when I'm just kind of bored or <clears throat> needing a little outdoor time is, uh, I love, I love the Salt Lake city cemetery and, um, I love Gilgal. I love going to Gilgal. Um, so I, I love outsider art and we don't have a lot of it in, in Utah. 
you know, I've been to places like Salvation Mountain in uh, California, south of Palm Springs, and and there's this outsider art piece in Georgia called Pasaquan that's way out in the middle of nowhere. Huh. And uh, they're really cool, just kind of ecstatic, crazy people um, who built something wonderful that doesn't make a ton of sense. And Gilgal is kind of the same way for me. Yeah. And that it's right in the heart of the city is just, I think it's a, a real treasure that I, I think is underappreciated here. Mm. Yeah. Um, so Gilgal, just just uh, east of Trolley Square, right? Yeah. In the kind of like middle of the block. Yeah. Um, and, lots, lots of like good old like LDS lore and mysticism in sculpture. Yeah. And really cool stonework. You know, he, um, yeah. Thomas Childs created, uh, pioneered that stonework technique where he would carve the stone and then melt it uh, under a super high temperature torch. That's why all the, the, the sculpture has that weird kind of smoothness to it. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's a really interesting space. I kind of love it. And the guy rendered himself in brick pants. If you Google brick pants, that's the first thing that comes up. (laughs) That's him. Okay. (laughs) I didn't realize that was a self portrait. I love it. It's a self portrait. Yeah. What, um, okay. So we've been, you know, I'll take the kids to like Gilgal every once in a while, just like strolling the neighborhood. Um, but what's, what's at the cemetery? What's the draw to the cemetery? I just, just a quiet, beautiful, you know, big tree line space and, uh, not a lot going on there. I also really love to go to, um, Mount Olivet cemetery. I don't know if you've gone there uh, in the spring and seen the families of mule deer. Uh Yeah. So these, there's mule deer that live inside the cemetery. No and yeah, in the spring you can see them there with their babies and it's just like this beautiful, oh, you can, you can just imagine the time after people. <laughs> I think if you go to Mount Olivet Cemetery and just sit there quietly and watch the deer. Really cool. cool. Mount Olivet. Yeah, you should take okay. the kids. Rad. That's good. Good recommend. Yeah. Always looking for somewhere to take those kiddos. Okay, cool. Well, we made it through 20 questions in under mm-hmm. an hour. So impressive. Yeah, Mark, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to um, just uh, have a a chat about what we love to do. Yes, my um, my busy pandemic life. I'm so, uh, (laughs) it was really hard to do, but I was willing to do it for you, Aaron. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Yeah.